If you don't have an email list, then you don't have a direct line to your customers. Reaching your clients, audience, supporters, and fans with the right message at the right time in the right place becomes easy when you've got a strategic email list in place. My email list is the number one way I drive profits in my business. And major bonus here, it's a lot easier and way more fun than you might think. That's why I'm teaching a free live workshop all about growing your email list called From Zero Subscribers or Zero Strategy to an Engaged Email List That Lasts. I'll show you how to kick off your email list building strategy with no fear because I know it can be scary to start something new in your business. Save your virtual seat at growanemaillist.com. Inside of my free live workshop, you'll learn why email marketing is 10 times more effective than posting on social media, my secret to sending out weekly emails without adding a ton of work to my plate, my best tips for getting people to hit subscribe, and what to actually say to them to convert them from subscribers to paying clients and customers. Save your seat now at growanemaillist.com. That's growanemaillist.com to get started with an email list strategy that drives real results. I'll see you at the masterclass. You're listening to the Gold Digger podcast, episode number 156. Gold Diggers, today we are chatting to the brains behind an Instagram account that we have all probably followed and obsessed over at one point or another. Stacy Stahl is the founder and the brains behind HowHeAsked.com, the digital destination for all things marriage proposals. In September 2016, How He Asked was acquired by EXO Group to allow The Knot to better service audience even earlier in the wedding planning journey. With hundreds of thousands of love-obsessed readers and more than half a million Instagram followers, How He Asked provides a platform for couples to share their engagement stories. As if growing a mega successful blog and brand isn't awesome enough, Stacy is also the creator of Say It Forward, a 100% charitable project that encourages people to spread love and kindness through anonymous digital cards. Stacy appeared on Ellen in early 2018 and has been featured in the New York Times, on Good Morning America, and so much more. Today, Stacy is going to tell us the details behind growing a huge following, what it was like starting a business at a young age, and knowing when to move on with your career. This episode is full of so much goodness, and I cannot wait for you to hear from the amazing Stacy. Are you guys ready? Let's dive on into how he asked and how it got started. You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast, where we firmly believe that work doesn't have to feel like work. Self-made millionaire and marketing guru Jenna Kutcher will help you redefine what success looks like. It's time to hear from the experts, listen in on honest conversations, and learn the best tips and tricks that helped others pave their own way and craft their dream career. If you're ready to dig in, do the work, and tackle your biggest goals, you're in the right place. Here's your host, educator, photographer, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. All right, Stacey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jenna. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. This is so fun. Stacey and I, we figured out we have all these connections. I feel like the world is just getting smaller every day, don't you think? Absolutely. I love it. 
I love it. So with how he asked, my sister's proposal was on there and I had some images that I took on there. And so before we dive on into what you do, I want to know who is Stacy? Like, wh- how is your path unfolded? Give us a story behind everything that you're doing today. I was so exciting to hear that you had a connection to how he asked in more than one way. Those yes. things fill my heart, make me just jump with joy. So I think that is a lead into who I am. But I grew up in Florida. I moved to New York right after school and I worked at a few startups. I always knew that I'd start my own thing. And so when a friend of mine's boyfriend asked me to come to his proposal, I was obviously like so emotional and so excited, but I was also a little bit confused. I didn't know why I was going to be a part of someone else's proposal, but of course I just jumped at the opportunity to be in like a mushy environment celebrating my friends. So I went back to Florida and I was a part of the proposal and I was crying more than my friend was. <laughs> I was just so excited. I was like, this is literally the best moment ever. I can't even believe it. And I flew back to where I was living and I worked at this company that was all women. It was this like four mom, by moms, like startup. And so literally every single woman that worked there didn't even know my friend, but they kept asking like, oh my gosh, how do you ask? How do you ask? Tell us everything. Mm-hmm. And that's really where I got this idea that obviously people just want to share these really big moments in their life. And this was like six or seven years ago. So social media was really just, you know, in its heyday of people sharing their milestones. And so again, you know, my parents growing up always owned their own businesses. I saw them work for themselves only. And so I knew I'd start something. So I really had this aha moment where I swear you, I was like looking in the mirror and I was like, are you going to start a proposal website? And it really checked all of the boxes of, you know, who I was one being like very super emotional Two, it being content driven. And I was a marketer myself. I'd studied PR and just like worked in this digital space already. And it also just felt right. Like I had this personal experience to speak to. And so I started how he asked on the side of this other job. And, you know, that's, that's sort of the beginning phases of how he asked. So what did it look like when you first launched it? Because I also started around that time before Pinterest existed and Instagram was even hip. What did your site look like? And how did you kind of get it off the ground? So I'm sort of blushing thinking about what it looks like. You know, there's that way back machine that you can look at websites <laughs> from like years ago or whatever it is. And I've done that a few times. And, and like on one hand, it's super joyful to see where I started. And then on the other hand, it is so embarrassing. <laughs> I just want to curl up in a ball. But I did my own logo. I don't even know how. I don't remember. I must have used Photoshop. I have no idea. But I did my own logo. I threw up this WordPress site. It looked so just bare and lacked style and everything, but it worked. It served its purpose. It was super Mm -hmm. simple. It looked like a blog. And I started with my friend's story. So that was the first post. And, you know, I really started fishing for stories, whether it was like asking friends or friends to share their proposal stories, or at this time, Twitter was sort of the biggest thing. And Mm -hmm. I was 
people who had written things like, I just got engaged or just said yes. And I would direct message them and say, oh, I'd love to share your story. And it was this very manual process of me trying to find stories to put on the blog. But again, the blog itself just looked like a bare bones, not cute, but try to be cute blog. And, you know, there we go. We were off to the races. That is awesome. I didn't know that there was a Wayback Machine and now I'm like terrified but excited to look at all my old sites because I just did an episode about how I started my blog like in 2010 and oh gosh, I'm terrified. No, but it's really nice to see where you started. Yes. And I think the lesson that I always have learned is just to be very grateful for each step. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you think you're going to get to you know, step Z on day one, you're just not. And to me, when I look back, especially having sold how we asked, the most meaningful times were in the beginning phases when I was struggling and solving problems and feeling like, wow, I'm really doing this. Mm-hmm. So I really do cherish as ugly as <laughs> those beginning, you know. I love that. So what was a certain like aha moment in a sense where you're like, this is really a thing. Like this isn't just a hobby. This could be a business. Yeah, that's such a good question. I think it's really important to look out for those things. And they can be a little scary at times because you like just this big truth is hitting you and you have this decision to make with yourself of like, am I doing this or am I not? Mm-hmm. So for me, like, as I was saying in the beginning, I was really fishing for proposal stories and trying to like, rally them as much as I possibly could. But then I got an email from someone I hadn't reached out to just a random person. And they said, I came across your site, I want to share my story, how can I do it? And that was a really pivotal point for me. Because again, it wasn't me going out for it, but someone coming to me for exactly what I created. Mm -hmm. So did you have a process to accepting submissions? Because I, lots of people don't know, but I used to run a Midwest wedding blog. And the submission process is nuts. So what happened in terms of your back end when all of a sudden you're like, okay, wait, I don't have to go out and ask for everything. Like people can come to me. Totally. Well, first of all, I have to say, I listen to a lot of your podcasts and I find it so funny. I always hear you say, people don't know this about me, but I did this. People don't know this. <laughs> <laughs> she done and tried. And I've I done love. everything and I've made so many mistakes and people only see the good stuff. <laughs> I, know, I know you do such a great job of sharing every facet, which I very much admire. And I feel like that's our duty, right? As right. people who down the path is to show the real parts of it. But yeah, that's such a good question. And honestly, that's the core of my business is figuring out how these submissions come to fruition. Mm-hmm. So I knew this would be a headache as we're <laughs> So for me, like once I started getting more and more submissions and realizing how much of a time suck it was to work on them and, you know, to manually upload to them to the site and whatnot, I decided that I was going to create a self-submission process. So as much as I love proposals, I love efficiency even more. (laughs) (laughs) I am very much a path of least resistance person. So, you know, for me, when I knew that the content piece was going to be a headache, I looked at it as like, oh, this is a challenge for creating something that could be efficient. So what I did was instead of investing my money in a person to take over the work that I was not wanting to do, I hired a developer to create this self-submission platform so that when someone submits all of their details on the front end of the site, it automatically turns into a post on the back end. And so now it takes 
less than three minutes after we have received a submission to just look over it, double check anything, make a couple edits to it and then publish it. So to me, that trick of like, how do I get these stories on the site quick, efficient, turned around and able to be shared by the couple within minutes is was a big priority. And it's truly the bread and butter of the business. That's incredible. And that is so, so smart. So I have to ask, because inquiring minds want to know, how did you choose where to invest? Because a lot of times, especially nowadays, people are starting blogs and they feel like they're late to the game. They likely don't have a lot to invest in it. At this point, when you hired a developer, were you profitable? And if so, how were you profitable? That's a good question. So I bootstrapped the company. So I never spent money that I didn't make from the business itself. Mm -hmm. Looking back, I might have invested, you know, $10,000 or $30,000 of my own money, but I was 23. And so I... (laughs) (laughs) And so I was just forced to think creatively. And, you know, I think this brings up... This question brings up a strategy that I've always applied to myself and my business and my work ethic. And it's this low effort, high impact prioritization Mm -hmm. strategy they have. And so I look at everything on my to-do list or just all of the ideas that I have or things I want to accomplish. And I've got two columns for them. One being is the effort low, medium or high, and then is the impact low, medium or high. And so I'll check for each item on my list or my idea sheet. Like, is it low, medium or high effort? Is it low, medium or high impact? And if it's low effort and high impact, that's where I start. Because again, as I said before, I'm a path of least resistance person. And I know that I will get frustrated if I'm in the weeds of something that takes so, 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 so much effort. And so when you ask this question of like where I put my resources first, Mm -hmm. I didn't think that it was a person that had to solve a problem. Again, it could be technology. It could be a different blog. It could be outsourcing, you know, something to, you know, a technical co-founder, but whatever it was, I looked at things that I knew were easy enough and could really make a difference. And that's where I invested my time and my money. That is such a great way to decide. I've never heard of the way that you do that. I think that is so smart because a lot of times I find that people are spending their time and their money on the things that aren't really driving their business forward. Totally. And it's it's really a mindset that I'm in now. So I know I said that I write this list out and I do sometimes, but it's also just like a something that my brain is completely used to now. If something comes across my plate, even cooking dinner mm-hmm. and, or I'm like, ooh, that sounds like a lot of effort. (laughs) I just shove that out of the way. And really removing these big, heavy things that you think you have to do from what your priorities are can really help you get down to the nuts and bolts of what's really going to make a difference in your business. And so for me, knowing I was spending all of my time and energy on reworking this content and making what someone emailed me a submission and Mm -hmm. a story, you know, I knew that wasn't me. I'm not a writer. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an ideas person. I'm a creative person. And so when I knew that that was going to be the majority of my time, and that's not something that I truly knew energized me, I had to create a solution around it. Mm -hmm. And again, I looked at it like, you know what, this is like medium effort. You know, it's not low. It's definitely not low, but this will be the most impactful thing for my business. And so I started there. And honestly, that was in year, like I would say, the first part of year two of my business. And I've never looked back. It has completely served me. We have not pivoted. It has been the one thing that grew our business and our traffic by a billion. 
Hey, gold diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. Gold diggers, we all know the B2B landscape can be a bit complex. From lengthy buying cycles to complicated decision-making processes, reaching your target audience can be tough. But I found a solution tailored just for you. LinkedIn ads. A whopping 79% of B2B content marketers say LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. That's because with LinkedIn ads, you're not just casting a wide net and hoping for the best. You're strategically building relationships and driving real results. We're talking about a platform with over a billion members, including 180 million senior level executives and 10 million C-level executives. You are networking with the actual decision makers. And LinkedIn's targeting and measurement tools are specifically designed for B2B marketers, meaning you're not wasting time or money on irrelevant leads. In fact, in the tech industry, LinkedIn ads have been shown to generate two to five times higher return on ad spend compared to other social media platforms. Using LinkedIn ads allows you to stay ahead of the curve when it comes to industry trends and developments, whether it's finding the perfect partner for a collaboration or uncovering new opportunities for growth, LinkedIn can be your secret weapon. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash goal to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goal. Terms and conditions apply. That is so powerful. Okay. So you and I, we started our businesses at the same age, the age of 23. Can you kind of walk us through, uh, like, we are, we are good. We are good. Can you walk us through like what it felt like in starting this and explaining it to your parents and this was going to be your thing. And really, I mean, you were kind of ahead of your time in a lot of ways. Walk us through what that looked like. Yeah. You know, I think that's such a good question and thing to think about. For me, being so young was a wonderful thing and also a scary thing. Mm -hmm. It was wonderful in that my opportunity cost was so low. I was working at this entry-level marketing job and not making too much money. And so I knew that I could figure out a way to do part-time work or babysit on the side or just do random odd gigs to be able to make up what I had been making otherwise. So knowing that the opportunity cost was so low and the risk was so low, it was super easy for me to make it work in my mind. But at 
the same time, it was like, I'm 23. What the heck do I know? Mm -hmm. And the one lesson that I really learned when I try to drive home with anyone I talk to who's trying to start a business is that you shouldn't know anything. That's the point. If someone knew it, or if you knew it, it would be done already. Mm -hmm. And the the point is, I know we always hear this, but it's the journey. It's not the, you know, destination. And so when I started to say to myself, it's okay, don't know anything, but I know what I want my life to look like. And I know what I, what I want the idea to look like. That's when it started changing the game for me and realizing it didn't matter how old I was or what I had, or I didn't have, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think another thing that always drives me is uh, just this conviction in yourself. I think right after I graduated college, I wanted to travel. I didn't want to get a first job. I had worked, <laughs> right? I'm such a millennial now. I worked, <laughs> <laughs> I worked all throughout college and, you know, making $7 an hour and nothing crazy. But I was saving up for, I'm not really sure what, but I decided in the end that I wanted to take a trip. So I backpacked around Asia for two months after college instead. And it's so funny. People would come to me and be like, oh my gosh, how'd you do that? Like, how'd you make it work? Mm-hmm. And my like, I my babysat this little boy named Lev for $7 an hour for four years straight. And then I bought a plane ticket. <laughs> I packed my bag. Like it really, I was like, I, this isn't rocket science. It's just that I made this decision. I had, you know, I, someone very close to me had done a similar thing and I identified with that person more than I identified with the person who had just gotten their first job. Mm-hmm. And so I just moved towards where I knew I felt that like this would make a difference in my life. This would be meaningful to me. And so I, you know, I booked a plane ticket. It really wasn't that hard. It's just making that decision. Absolutely. I think people do that to us all the time too, because, you know, we go to Hawaii for a month or we do these things, but we make sacrifices in so many other places in our life to make that happen. And when people say I could never do that, it's like, no, you're just choosing to not do that or to make that your priority. Absolutely. And the thing is that neither is right or wrong, but you're in our shoes. What I have found is that by surrounding yourself with people who are doing what you're doing, Mm -hmm. you just get better support. And you know, why would someone who hasn't done something know what they're talking about? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing I was saying with starting a business. Like why would someone who's never been out of the country or who has never, you know, gone to Hawaii for a month and figured out that that could work for them? Why would they know that? Mm -hmm. And that's a really hard expectation to put on other people. And so that to me takes the pressure off getting answers from someone else. And it puts all of the power in your hands. If you can do it, and you believe you can do it, you can absolutely do it. Like, don't let what other people's lack of experience, like tells them to do and guides them to do you are your own guide. Mm -hmm. You know, that's really moved me throughout the years. So powerful. So let's transition into how the heck did you get approached by an incredible organization and company? And they asked you to sell what you've built to them. Walk us through this entire process and this turning point in your story with how he asked. Oh gosh, I'm like blushing and smiling and smiling <laughs> still. It's been more than a year since I sold it, but it is still such a meaningful moment for me. <laughs> so this is a big one. But I had grown the company in a very efficient way. Like I said, I only spent money when I made money. I only, you know, took on an employee when, you know, we had the demands and I had the capacity. And so I really built this well-oiled machine. And I tested these different partnerships, you know, a few of them being with the not, whether they're content partnerships or revenue share deals. And at a certain point, we had been working so well together that 
the word acquisition just came into the conversation. It was one of those like, you know, we're sort of dancing with each other. I think they're thinking it Mm -hmm. like, do they think I want to sell? And so the second the word acquisition came out on the table, you know, I kept my straight face for negotiation, but I was just like dancing around the room. (laughs) And the reason I say that is because first of all, I had this crazy moment, even before I bought the domain name, I was like, the knot would totally buy this. Like I'm going to start this business and the knot's going to buy it. And I was so, it was, wow. I feel really good. I said that, but at the same time, it was completely random, Mm -hmm. you know, like this vote of confidence in the idea in myself that kept driving me, but it kind of came out of nowhere. And so when it actually happened, it felt like, I don't know if you know this, but Jim Carrey wrote himself before he even got his first acting role, he wrote himself a $10 million check. Isn't that crazy? Like vision thing. Mm -hmm. If you create and put the vision out there, like it will come. And I totally believe in that. Obviously there was a ton of work that I did and Jim did, (laughs) but (laughs) we are able to cash in our checks. Don't think that mine was as much as Jim, but you know, so point being, there was a lot of excitement in the conversation. And I think to a lot of people, it's like, holy cow, how'd you do it? What'd you do? Yada, yada. But it really was so much work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was just nitty gritty, just showing them my process and my efficiencies and also where I wasn't doing so well and how their business could actually capitalize and engage with the parts that I wasn't doing well Mm -hmm. in such a better way that they would just create so many more synergies like out of it, you know? So yeah, I mean, it took a lot of getting my books in order, which they weren't before. (laughs) (laughs) True life, Um, a creative person. (laughs) Totally. I know. I like my biggest regret, but at the same time, like, of course I wouldn't have my shit together there. Like why, like why would I expect myself to be, you know, so diligent with my accounting and reporting. Like I just can't put that pressure on myself. So it's totally fine that I had to dig myself out of a hole there. (laughs) They were not buying me because I was an accountant. Right. So I had to let that pressure sail, you know, I hired a bookkeeper. I think it was this last year, two years ago. It's the best money I've ever spent because tax time is not stressful anymore. So if anyone's out there and they're wondering where can I put a hundred dollars a month that will make a difference bookkeeping. Okay, listen to me and Stacy. Listen to us. <laughs> so, what was it like then thinking about selling this thing that you have worked so hard? I mean, it was kind of like your baby. You grew up with it, you watched it grow. What was it like letting it go in a sense? And then, how did you negotiate what your role would be after they acquired you? So, I knew that the company was at a transition point. I had been doing it for five years. I had amazing editors. I love my developer. We were really kicking butt. All of our partners were recurring partnerships. Everything was stable and steady. And so I think a lot of people get really excited, would get really excited knowing that. But I was like, well, then now what? You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I felt Stability was a wonderful thing and I really reveled in it, but I knew that there was a change to be made. And I didn't really know what that change was because I loved that we just did proposals. I loved that our submission system was so flawless. I loved that we had this brand that was just all about engagement. And so I wasn't sure if I wanted, you know, people were like, oh, you should go into telling stories about having babies and divorce. (laughs) 
like tell stories about other lifestyles. And there just was something that didn't feel right about that. I thought that like, there was just this unique chemistry of the proposal story of the photographers that were creating this magic out of the moment of the platform again itself of the community of the industry of our Instagram, like everything was just perfect. And I didn't really want to like buck the system much, but point being when the knock came along, that was my next step that felt so right to me. First of all, obviously who doesn't want to sell to a public company and a huge company like the mm-hmm. not like our goals. I was like, can't believe this is happening to me. But I also just knew that the business was ready for something. And so even though, yes, I had grown it and nurtured it and I had all these relationships with my partners and my employees, I just, I knew it was time. And so I really think that it was a, you know, a good thing that I did for the business mm-hmm. and not just for myself and the company. So yeah, giving it up, you know, now I'm, I'm still managing and I'm working for The Knot and I'm getting a whole new experience working for a big company. As I said before, I'd worked at a startup before I started How We Asked. And so I really, I had no big company experience. So it's really good for me to be, you know, I still run fairly independently, but I've got all these other resources and then I'm just a part of a bigger conversation mm-hmm. that I think has helped both me and the company. On top of my many titles as mom, entrepreneur, and creative, I've also added host. Drew and I host on Airbnb on our favorite island in Hawaii. We started hosting as a way to make some extra income, and we've had such an easy breezy experience. Now we host year after year, and it's been a fantastic side hustle. Not to brag, but we've also been crowned Airbnb Superhost several times, so we are really killing the game. It's about having spaces we can enjoy as a family while creating memorable experiences for our guests, and it helps that we earn a little extra cash on the side. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Awesome. Okay, so... For people that are starting blogs, I will have a few questions for you. So what was your first hire and would you change anything about that first hire or was it a good fit? So my first hire was the developer. Okay. I was able to manage the content on my own. I think anyone could really manage content. Mm-hmm. Not too tough. I mean, I'm not a writer, but other people were writing content. So my first hire was a development company. So they put a proposal together and showed me what the content management system would look like. And that's where I invested my money. And after that, I so much was cleared off my plate from a content perspective, Mm -hmm. from just a time perspective, that I actually could do more things for the business. And I didn't need to hire someone for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. So I brought on an intern to... You know, someone does need to look through the content, find the the best proposals and share those on Instagram and create a social following. Like I did need someone to foster our community. And so I hired an intern who I paid, you know, minimum wage Mm -hmm. and I really let them take the reins on that. So I had, again, invested in the technology and the site so that it didn't have to be a thorn on my side every day. Then I put a little money into someone who could take the big things off my plate. And so this is actually really interesting to me, something I learned. Like, obviously, developers was a bit of an investment. But an editor, like, the stuff that I was spending so much of my time doing was actually the least expensive thing to outsource. You know, it wasn't like I was like, hey, I need a lawyer for $400 an hour. You know, you can find interns and writers and young 
you know, people who are really looking to attach themselves to people like you who are doing their own thing and give them experience and pay them a bit. And there you go. And they're taking so much off your plate for literally almost minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So really big thing for me to realize like, oh, why am I doing this when it's the cheapest form of labor and it's going to take so much off my plate and I can focus on the bigger things. Again, not like I was hiring a lawyer. Right. Right. I love that. So can you walk us through, I think a lot of people have questions and, and you've navigated all of this through different stages. How do blogs actually make money? Do people ask you this all the time? Because I feel like when I talk to my blogger friends, people are like, so how is this actually a business and not just a hobby? Totally. So when I first started, the media landscape was completely different. Banner ads were still a thing. So I could just go onto Google ads and put some code on my site. They would deliver the ads and I would make a cut of that. And then as I grew, I was able to go directly to advertisers and work with them to get the banners and to get paid. So I didn't need a third party you know, ad platform. Mm -hmm. And then Instagram came around and advertisers were not only wanting banner ads and placement on your site, but they wanted to engage in the conversation on social. And so over time, more and more, social started to take over. And that would be the thing that I would lead with to sell. So we had hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers when, you know, our competitors had like 15,000. So how that happened it's a wild thing, but it happened. And so the transition from monetizing a website to monetizing our community was something that was quite a challenge, to be honest, but that's where it moved towards. So now, you know, we create these campaigns with a lot of jewelers, our, our primary advertiser, mm-hmm. where we will share their rings and stories from their couples, and we will show our audience what jewelry brands are doing to be a part of the proposal. I love that. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's such a tough question because I do feel like there are some people like we can't create events. That's not mm-hmm. something that we like if in your case, like you can, because you've got people following you for advice. And for us, we've got people following us for proposal stories and cute things and moments <laughs> that they want. So I think you just really have to like hone in on where your sweet spot is. You know, for me, I wanted to monetize from day one because I wasn't going to do this just for fun. So I did put an ad on my site literally day one. And that just helped me get in the habit of managing income, Mm -hmm. even if it was 12 cents. (laughs) Even if it was 12 cents, I knew, okay, every day I need to be checking my traffic, how that related to my revenue and, you know, what things I could do better, like in both capacities. I love that. And I think it makes you treat it like a business because it probably would have felt like a hobby if there was only time going out and nothing coming in. Even 12 cents is something coming in. (laughs) So one thing that I'm curious about is I talked to a lot of different service providers, let's say like wedding photographers who feel like they only serve a client for a season of their life. And For how he asked, that could be the case in the sense of people are only following until they're engaged or after they're planning their wedding. What does that ideal client look like for you in a sense? And like, how do you continue that relationship after they're engaged and or married? 
That's such a good question. And I think that I'm not so sure I think it's necessary Mm -hmm. to continue having this person in your good graces if they're really not going to benefit from the content that you put out. And so I don't know if I would focus so much on keeping someone as much as I would focus on keeping the core of who you are Mm -hmm. so that when the person prime for finding you, they find you, they use you, they love you. And if they've moved on, let them move on. Mm -hmm. Do what you do best. And I think if you extend yourself too far, you know, in someone's journey, you could, you know, you don't want to cannibalize what you're doing by doing so much. Mm -hmm. So I would almost recommend people don't try to continue keeping these people over and over and over and over and over if what they're doing is so good that when someone enters that stage of their life that they find you and they love you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's like love them and let them go. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, okay. So I am dying to know this is such a personal question, but I just have to know, how did he ask you, Stacey? And how much pressure was on your sweet husband when he proposed to you? Oh my goodness. (laughs) So first of all, I had been dating him for six, his name's Greg, Greg, for six months when I had the idea. And he was like, is this a hint? (laughs) I'm like, calm down. No, this is a money-making endeavor. Like, back off, you know? (laughs) So four years later, so we actually, so when I told you about the first startup job, I got laid off of my first job. And it was around November and my family loves skiing. We've been skiing our whole lives. And so I had always had this dream of like doing a ski season. So I would like go to a mountain town for the whole winter and just be a bum. And so I got laid off and around November and I had met Greg around the same time. And I was like, listen, you're cool. This is great. But I've always wanted to do this thing. And and I'm moving to Colorado, you know, and he was like, okay, can I come visit? And I had known him for like two weeks. And I was like, sure, I'll welcome a visitor, you know, (laughs) and he ended up coming out so many times. And honestly, that's where our relationship developed was this sort of like long distance visiting every month to like have this ski trip together. So we always say that we fell in love with the mountain. So four years later, we were skiing, we were with my family and it was a very last run of the day. So my legs were tired. I was ready to go in and have my hot chocolate. And we were going down like kind of a tough slope. And Greg was like, Hey Stace, I think my ski broke. And I was like, Oh, okay. And I snowboard. So I don't even know what a ski looks like or how to fix it. (laughs) I was hanging out waiting for him. He was like really fiddling around. And I was like, what, what are you possibly doing? Like, let's go. I'm trying to get my cookie down like at the bottom. And he just wasn't saying anything. And I honestly was getting like quite frustrated and like, honey, let's go. What are we doing? What are we doing? And starts like the snow is pretty deep and he starts like crawling over to me, still not saying anything. And I'm just like having a fit in my brain. And he finally comes up to me and he puts his two hands like on my shoulders and he's like, stays. And I just knew it. And I'm a very emotional person. Like you could tell me one either sad or happy story right now and I'd start bawling. But in the moment, I was so shocked that all I was doing was was cursing, like complete curse, like all day, every second. And I feel like I didn't even let him like get his speech in, (laughs) but he opened up the ring box and I like shut it. I was like, boy. (laughs) 
So anyways, I said yes, obviously. And then we skied down to the bottom and it was like, I literally felt I was a novice skier again. (laughs) Your legs are all weak. You're like, what happened to me? My left hand was like so heavy. I was like, it's so off balance. Oh my gosh. Did he have a photographer there or is that something you didn't want? No, he did. The photographer was like way off in the distance that I didn't even know until like hours later. And Greg was like, oh yeah, someone was capturing it. And I obviously was grateful. And then I was also like, thank God, because I don't remember what just happened. Like there's proof on my hands and I love you, but did that happen? That is incredible. Oh my gosh. So your husband was to you. You guys Yeah, we were 20. Let's see here 21 or 22. I had just graduated from college. Drew was a year older. So he had already been living in Madison. And we were moving out of my college home. And he had made a list of 10 things we had to do before we left Stevens Point, which is where we met. And so it was like, go back to the classroom we met in, go to our favorite lunch spot, go to the pool. I was on the swim team. So we like checked all these things off of the list. And then at the end, it was number 11. And he had it in really faint ink on the backside of the paper that I was holding all day. And it's number 11, get engaged. And so it was when we were in college, it was so it was really cute. But it was funny. Oh my God. We were little babies, but it was so funny too, because I remember I had a lot of Christian friends and they all got engaged super young, but they all did these like over the top things. And I remember we would like look at their photo albums on Facebook. And, and so it's so funny about how you started, how he asked, because we were obsessed with proposals. Like it was just like, the biggest thing, you know? And so I feel like so bad for all of our husbands because we would be like, oh my gosh, she flew in a plane and he wrote it in the field. And you know, like all these things. I know it's so much pressure. I feel like it's harder to plan a proposal than it is a wedding. No like a guy completely on his own. Whereas like we women, if we're planning the wedding, like we've got all these vendors and all these pros. We got and all these- it. Like- we have Pinterest and it's so funny some of my favorite stories are submitted by the guy and not the awesome and it's so cute to hear like their mind process on this and like all the boxes that they were thinking about and some of them seem so just basic but they were just so significant to that person it's very very sweet when you hear it from the guy's point of view oh I love it do you have any proposals that like you've put on how he asked that just stand out to you because at some point you've done hundreds and and thousands right of proposal stories are there any that just like really stand out to you yeah you know I always reference one because it's kind of funny it's super unique it was adorable it was private but still like a big gesture so basically this couple had been together for so 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 long and all of their friends always would ask like, okay, so when's the next step? Yada, yada. And they would always just reply, when we have our ducks in a row, we will take the next step. And so the whole ducks in a row thing was just a huge inside joke with them. And like when they got their first jobs or bought their first house, like they would be like, another duck, another duck. So for the proposal, this guy got these huge blow up ducks, like yes. two feet and he like put them in a row in this random field and he had sort of like drew did like he had number one here like here's what we accomplished number two and so each duck was like a different accomplishment and so the 10th duck was like look they're in a row let's get engaged and so 
like it was this big gesture, but it was private because it was in some random fields and it was just the two of them and maybe like a photographer who came to capture it from the bushes. And so like, I love that it was unique. It was special to them. It was memorable. It was exciting. It was funny. Like I just love all those details. And it didn't mean that he had to, you know, buy her plane to do this or do something wild. It was just very specific to the conversations and the life that they led together, you know? I love that. So how has your role changed from when you just started it and you were the little engine that could to now? What is your role in how he asked now? So I'm still running and managing the majority of the business. I, you know, I still work with the same developer and my editors are the same. Thankfully, we've just had such a good run with our small team. And so we still get things done on our own. Mm -hmm. But now the partners that we work with, the advertisers, the campaigns that we're doing, they're just on a bigger scale because they relate and are integrated to the knot as well. So I still very much run the day to day, make sure things are getting done. You know, we're creating some new things for the knot that use our self submission platform. So, you know, I'm still using that little engine that could, Mm -hmm. but just more for the knot now. That is so cool. So What is the single best piece of advice that you want to leave our listeners with today who are wanting to take maybe an unconventional path or they see this little spark and they think it could turn into a wildfire? Well, I think first I would say, I would tell everyone listening right now that I completely understand what you're feeling. I know the drive and the excitement and the fear, and I know it can be paralyzing at times, it can be energizing at times. But I think, you know, don't be your own ceiling. Don't hold yourself back. Other people are going to tell you no, they're going to try to protect you from risk. You know, they're going to throw so many questions at them, but don't listen. Listen to you and your drive and the energy that you feel. Anything that you can imagine, you can do. It's about creating the vision, having the conviction and the confidence and just doing the work. Oh, that is like the most tweetable thing ever. Everyone needs to tweet at Stacey. That was so good. That was good, girl. I love it. I don't even like Twitter. I don't even use Twitter. But yeah. Please go ahead. If you're on Twitter, I might have an account there. Okay. Speaking of which, where can everyone connect with you? So... How He Asked has an Instagram account. It's at How He Asked. And then my personal one is Stacy Stahl, Stacy underscore Stahl. I love it. You guys just have to scroll. It. If anything, it's like looking at photos of cute puppies, but like real life people. So it just makes you feel good. And it's so fun to just hear about love stories. I know so many of us women and men are suckers for good love stories. And so Stacy is totally changing the world with just sharing those pivotal moments. I am so thankful for how he asked and just so excited that we got to hang out today, Stacy. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so fun. Does it have to No, end? it doesn't. P.S. Guys, Stacy is so awesome. She rescheduled a photo shoot so that she could be on here. So I want all of you gold diggers to get out and tell Stacy thank you because thank you, sister. You gave us so much good stuff today. Well, it is honestly the biggest thing about having accomplished what Howie asked did for me is being able to share my experiences with other people. I feel like I'm sure you feel the same thing, but you know, we are nothing without the people that we touch and that touch our lives. And I think that relationships and encouragement and motivation can really make a big difference in people's lives. So I'm just truly grateful. Awesome. You rock. You rock, sister. So there you have it. 
What a unique story. I love that Stacy took something that seemed peculiar and turned it into this giant, motivating Instagram account and website that uh, got acquired. That's awesome. I sincerely love just hearing about how she bootstrapped and how she decided to choose efficiency and how she looks at how things are going to impact in order to make decisions. Think that that one simple tip could change what a lot of us are doing in our day-to-day lives and really help move the needles of our dreams and our businesses further. I also loved that I had to ask Stacey, you know, how he asked. I mean, it wouldn't have been a podcast without that, right? Such an incredible episode, such an incredible guest. And I'm just so, so thankful that each and every week I get to interview powerful brilliant women like Stacy. If you have a minute, go check out how he asked, you know, I'm going to tell you this right now, you're going to continue scrolling and it's going to suck you in, but it is totally worth looking at what Stacy has built. Until next time, gold diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals and thank you for giving all of your energy and time to us today. Thanks for listening to the gold digger podcast. Dive into the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.golddiggerpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with a friend. The more the merrier. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time, you gold digger you. Hey, gold diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer care team is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more.